Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Heal My Health podcast. This is episode 41, and I am Sally White, host and clinical nutritionist. Today, I'm going to be talking all about PCOS and inositol, which is a nutrient or supplement that has been known and studied to support PCOS. So we'll talk about how and why, and we'll also talk about what PCOS is. Before going into today's topic, as always, this podcast isn't meant to diagnose or treat any illness. So please, it is for information purposes only. Don't go and change your diet, lifestyle, or add in any supplements without talking to your own personal professional, uh, whether that be nutritionist, dietitian, naturopath, doctor, whoever that can help support you make decisions for your individual lifestyle and your individual choice. So again, listen to the information, enjoy the information, and then you know take action on your own individual life. But let's get into it today. No messing around. Today's PCOS and another toll. So lately it's come to my attention that not many people really know about inositol or really utilize inositol for the women that do have PCOS, for the women around me that have PCOS, haven't really been told about it, heard about it. And it's come up a couple of times now where people have asked me, you know, what is something that can support my PCOS? And I might say, have you heard of inositol? And it's just, it's not really common known as a supplement or a common known term around uh, just kind of around my general space. So I wanted to do a podcast on it because in evidence-based realm, in the research realm for PCOS and a lot for insulin-related diseases such as type 2 diabetes and whatnot, inositol is quite a well-studied and well-known supplement. So we'll dive into its effects on PCOS together. But first of all, let's have a chat about what PCOS is. So It is a ovarian disorder, a hormonal disorder, and a metabolic disorder. So it is uh, a woman's disorder. It's obviously ovarian. And it basically is this, it's a combination of signs and symptoms or a combination of things that arise for you to be diagnosed with PCOS. So if you're having, you know, if you're having menstrual irregularities, if you're having, you know, skipped periods or you're having uh, regular, two regular periods, so anything below 21 days and it keeps occurring and you go see your doctor, um, you can get a basically a diagnosis of PCOS if you have a presentation of two main criteria, which is a menstrual disorder. So what I just spoke about, whether they're having um, oligomenorrhea too many or amenorrhea, not enough. Um, so these things, are that's one criteria. And then you can also have what is called a clinical or biochemical hyperandrogenism. So this is when women, so our ovaries will produce too much male hormones. So androgens are male dominant hormones. They're the hormones that kind of, you know, kick in for male puberty. You know, you're talking about your endosteroest testosterone, testosterone. There's about four or five different androgens that are just specific male sex hormones where they basically give the male sex characteristics, hair and deep voice and all of these different things. So we can actually produce, as women, our ovaries can produce male androgens. And if we have either biochemical, meaning they test our blood and we can see that we've got a really high level of maybe free testosterone, uh, then that is a biochemical you know, diagnosis of hyperandrogenism. 
We can also have clinical, which means these are signs and symptoms that women get quite a lot with, um, you know, with uh, more severe PCOS. So male pattern, you can get male pattern baldness or male pattern hair growth. So you can get, you know, hair on your face, um, you know, hyper, like you start growing more hair on your legs, all these kind of things where, um, you know, men dominantly have more hair than that is also a clinical sign of hyperandrogenism. Also acne as well for women, we can break out in acne, uh, which is, you know, a relation to the oil over production of oil when we have this hyperandrogenism and a couple other things. We can even get a deeper voice as well. Um, and that just all comes into a clinical picture of this hyperandrogenism. So if you have those two things that come up, you know, the like, um, what did I just say? The menstrual issues, the menstrual uh, symptoms, and then you also have this clinical biochemical hyperandrogenism, then you can be diagnosed with PCOS, you know, if that is relevant. Um, And also, obviously, polycystic ovaries, so cysts on the ovaries. Now, a lot of people don't understand. So cysts can be multiple different things in the body, basically like fluid-filled cells or fluid-filled like sacs or whatever. So the cyst, the cysts that come on the ovaries are actually immature eggs. So they're egg follicles that haven't gone to fully, like to full maturation yet, and so they were never able to ovulate. So you can see this picture here, where you know you're having these menstrual problems. You're either maybe an ovulation, you're not having periods, so you're having these eggs that aren't going to full fertile, uh, full maturation, and they kind of hang around, and then they become cysts. So it's, it's eggs that aren't being released, um, which is quite interesting. So maybe even if you were to go, you have to have two out of three of these diagnostic criteria. So you might go and you, they might find that you have, you know, polycystic ovaries and clinical hyperandrogenism, and that could be PCOS. Or you might not have symptoms, uh, you might not have the cysts on your ovaries, but you have the other two. So this is PCOS in a diagnostic you know, what you would actually have. And it's really quite common. It affects five to 10% of women. um, And it's the most common cause of infertility as well. So if people are struggling with infertility, this might be an area to look at signs and symptoms and everything as well. Now I want to mention the causes of PCOS, but before I do that, I also just want to say that it is not any woman's fault or any woman's patterns of eating or weight or anything like that, that you can blame for the cause of PCOS. So when we talk about PCOS and there's, you know, possible risk factors that can lead to PCOS, that does not mean that PCOS is your fault because it is, you know, it shows up in a lot of different women and it is not a distinct causation between these things. So there are, you know, risk factors and possible causes or possible uh, additional factors that can lead to PCOS, but, you know, make sure when if you're listening to this and you have PCOS or, you know, if someone has PCOS that you're not judging and you're not saying, oh, it's because of this or because of that, because of her weight, because of her eating patterns, like very healthy women that have, you know, stayed in a healthy weight their whole entire life can get PCOS or have PCOS. So I think that it's really unfair to, you know, have this diagnosis judgment on people and think that it's people's fault or even, you know, on yourself as well. But the thing with PCOS is that, to be honest, it's a it's 
not fully understood yet. The cause is not fully understood. There's a couple of hypotheses and ones that are more relevant than others, which we'll talk about, but generally it can be a combination of things. So genetics is a big one. You know, if there's a PCOS that runs through the family, uh, hormonal issues as well throughout the life, different lifestyle factors, you know, less exercise, uh, environmental chemicals, things like that. And then uh, diet, lifestyle, overweight, that sort of clinical picture, which is pretty relevant to any disease pathology, to be honest. If I were to look at something, I always say, you know, it's a classic thing to say is that genes may be the gun, but environment and diet and lifestyle is what pulls the trigger. So when you look at someone's, you know, ability to continue to upkeep exercise, to upkeep a healthy diet, to take care of themselves, all of these things, then that is always going to be uh, supportive of disease prevention and the opposite is always going to be supportive of possibly unlocking, you know, pathological genes that can contribute to the development of disease. But that is like any disease ever. But the thing with PCOS is that insulin resistance is a massive uh it can be a massive role in the pathology is what they're saying is what it can be caused and what the research is going into, but it's also a big symptom of PCOS. So 50% 50 to 70% of women with PCOS will have insulin resistance. And we are discovering or have learned over this period of time while we're researching PCOS is that insulin resistance is kind of what plays the major role in all the symptoms. So, you know, those, those, um, acne hirsutism is what is the facial hair growth and, you know, all of these different, uh, you know, even keeping weight on as well. So PCOS, women with PCOS find it hard to reduce their weight. So a lot of these things can be attributed to insulin resistance. I remember way back when, um, I started this podcast and I did a like what is hormones episode, I discussed insulin because insulin is a hormone that regulates our sugar, like our sugar uptake. And it, it, there's, a, there's a really big cascade and there's a really big connection to all of our hormones in, in the body. So insulin, you know, can have and interfere with our ovarian function and it interferes with the, uh, like the metabolism of ovarian androgens, which basically means that if our ovaries producing these male hormones, that insulin stops them from degrading and being metabolized. So they kind of just hang around in our blood. And then that's when we get like an increase in this androgen level as a female body with male hormones flowing through it. So there's a couple of different mechanisms there, which insulin really affects our hormones. And this is the, this is the more holistic picture that I'm always talking about, right? Because a lot of people look at insulin uh, in diabetics and in diseases where it's just like there's a there's a blood sugar dysregulation or, you know, whatever else. It's just it's very much sugar and insulin go hand in hand, and they do, but insulin plays a big role in all the other hormones as well. So like as I was saying before, when they talk about the cause of PCOS as it's a little bit unknown, but insulin resistance is kind of the main hypothesis that comes along and is one of the main drivers and main causes of PCOS. So basically they think that when we have high insulin in our blood, then our ovaries and our adrenal glands, they release more androgen. Uh, so both, you know, both of these, uh, what they're called, 
exocrine, endocrine, endocrine organs. Wow, I'm really pushing my brain here. Uh, but both of those endocrine organs, yeah, they they produce more androgens. So when we look at a clinical picture, both in people that are of risk of developing PCOS or people that have PCOS, it's really this uh, high insulin or hyperinsulinemia management that we want to look at. Um, and yeah, so good times. <laughs> insulin is what is going to be one of the big, like, yeah, big. Uh, if I if I have a client with PCOS, if you're a PCO, if you have PCOS, you would be wanting to get your insulin checked and seeing if that is something that you can work with and bring down these, you know, these symptoms, these annoying symptoms of PCOS that you get, and see if you can if you can support it. I think that now is a good time to say that PCOS is not classified as a curable disease, uh, but it can be managed. So I think that it's really, you know, I think it's really supportive when people say things aren't curable, but they're managed to like take that glass half full cup where you can actually really, you can really help yourself and you can really build the habits to work around your lifestyle. You know what I mean? And the beautiful thing is that insulin is a really workable hormone. It's a really workable chemical that a lot of foods can support, you know, having low glycemic index carbohydrates, you know, concentrating on fat and protein, working with exercise in both strength and cardio training. So there's a lot of modifiable diet and lifestyle factors that can really support insulin. And one of these is inositol, which is a supplement that I want to talk about. And it's been wildly studied, wildly, widely studied. (laughs) I love that. Wild research but it's been widely studied for its beautiful beneficial effects on PCOS. And it's really incredible. Like the results are actually incredible. So we're looking at restoring menstruation, restoring ovulation, restoring our hormonal balance and insulin resistance and all that kind of stuff. And inositol is like queen. It is king queen of the supplements for PCOS. So it's actually Inositol is actually vitamin B8, which I find really funny because I never really looked at which ones. So there's vitamin B4, B8, oh sorry, B5, B8, and B11 that are just missing from like if you were to look up B vitamins, they're just not in there. And it was because they were classified once as a vitamin, but they were found that they're not technically needed to survive. So we don't need inositol to survive. We actually produce it in our body and we have heaps of it in our body and we already yeah, have a lot of it going on in our body. So it's not needed to survive, hence why it's not a vitamin anymore. But now we are seeing that there are dysregulations in the insulin amount in PCOS women. So we have a high content of myo-inositol that sits around in our ovaries and it's been kind of looked at now as another, you know, hypothesis or pathological factor of decreased myonositol in the ovaries of PCOS women. So when I say myonositol, it's just, it's a form of inositol and it is the one that is most effective for treating PCOS. If you have an inositol supplement and it just says inositol in the front, I can like 98% assure you that you turn it around and the ingredients would say 100% myonositol on the back. So that is the main form. But a really interesting thing that I figured out is that there's actually a better, like a slightly better, 100% myonositol is fine, but there's a slightly better thing that you can get for PCOS. And it's a ratio of 40 to 1 in myonositol and a thing called dechiroinositol. 
So basically this ratio of these different forms of inositol is what is found to be normal in the ovaries of healthy non-PCOS women. So we're kind of using a supplement that is in the same ratio and the same like regulation of a healthy ovarian function. And you can get this. So there was a couple of brands that I found online, no affiliation, but there's a wholesome story, Thorologics and Naturamone. And they were the supplements that I found that had this specific ratio, the 40 to one. And whilst myonositol on its own gets really, really good results in PCOS studies, this combination gets just a little bit better. And when I say results, I'm talking like improved insulin resistance. So there's, um, you know, reduced hyperinsulinemia and there is reduced like blood sugar. So if you have high insulin and insulin resistance, then you most likely will have blood sugar dysregulation as well. So they have um, found, yeah, there's decreases in blood sugar, decreases in insulin. There is then also like results of restored FSH. So this is our follicle stimulating hormone. Basically from our pituitary gland, we produce a hormone that then flows down to our ovaries that tells us to produce estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And when we have PCOS, we can get a like dysregulation in our original FSH hormone. So that also contributes to a um, yeah missed periods and all that stuff that's going on in PCOS. So the results, they're honestly so beautiful. Like I just, it's really, it's not, it's not that it's uncommon, but the results of percentages of people and women that can be supported through inositol is absolutely mind blowing. So I'll just read you uh, a little summary from there's a, there's a systematic review and meta-analysis that says here, uh, Santini ETL have shown that approximately 88% of women obtain at least one spontaneous menstrual cycle during treatment. And among these 72% will remain will maintain ovulatory cycles at follow-up. About 40% of women get pregnant after treatment with inositol. Like these are big numbers. When we talk research and stuff, you know, when we want big, you know, effect sizes and big results, these 40 to 70% are incredible. Like there's rarely often that you'll have one form of treatment that goes above 80. And if it is, it's going to be very, very well known and widely used. So when we're looking at, you know, 88% of women will get a spontaneous menstrual cycle during treatment. So we're, we're finding ovulatory function happening or refunction happening there. And then when we see that 72% of women maintain those ovulatory cycles, like that's incredible. These are the things that it shows that we're producing our follicle stimulating hormone. It shows that we are like, if we're ovulating, we're going to be menstruating. So we're getting that cycle back. And 40% of women getting pregnant after treatment, that's amazing for infertility. Like infertility rates are continually rising. And just to know, especially that PCOS is one of these main drivers of infertility. Like if you look at infertility, it is one of the top causes of it completely. So if we have a supplement that is a chemical that's already produced in our body, it's a natural chemical, and that is showing that 40% of women with PCOS can get pregnant after treatment, like that's pretty, that's pretty mental. So it's something that can't be ignored. 
Basically how it does this is it's an insulin sensitizing hormone. So it increases the sensitivity of the body to insulin and that means it is upregulating insulin, uptaking insulin more, and this has a downplay effect. So I think I mentioned before that insulin has this, yeah, this intertwined connection between our ovaries and the way it produces androgens, and it also interferes with our sex hormone binding globulin. That is just like a little protein that's around in our blood and it binds testosterone and it stops testosterone from being free in the blood to be used. So when we have PCOS, there's a decrease in the amount of sex hormone binding globulin, which means that there's you know more room for testosterone to just be freely flowing around the blood. So when we test the blood for androgens, we are going to be testing um, what's free in the blood because if we have a free chemical in the blood, then it's free to be used. So when we are looking at all the studies that show these effects of inositol, they're showing that it can increase the sex hormone binding globulin, which means you'll have you know more of that grabbing your testosterone up. And it also can show trends towards increasing that follicle stimulating hormone, which means you're going to be having more communication from your brain to your ovaries to produce estrogen and to balance out these, you know, these menstrual irregularities. So really, really cool. And I wanted to say as well, so its main effects is on insulin, but there was a study published in 2014. They did use inositol and NAC, which is another supplement that's you know used for PCOS, um, but it's it's an insulin sensitizing supplement, but it's not as, you know, I don't seem to see the research showing that it's nearly as effective as insulin, but as inositol, but you can use the two together. So this study did inositol and NAC together and they wanted to see the outcomes of these supplements on PCOS women that had insulin resistance and ones that didn't. So you can have PCOS and not have insulin resistance in your like biochemically visible in your blood and they wanted to see if the effects were going to be the same. And basically they got these women to have a menstrual diary. So over a year period they were asking them to document when they would menstruate and all of these things. And then they would also test their serum progesterone and all of their, uh, their hormones throughout the, throughout the period of the study as well. And they showed that insulin resistant or not insulin resistant, that treatment with this inositol and NAC supplementation helped to restore ovulation with uh, those women that didn't have, yeah, weren't having regular ovulation or regular uh, regular menstrual periods. So it's they basically just concluded that inositol and NAC can have additional non-insulin related mechanisms. So even though there was no insulin resistance there, it still had these beautiful effects on ovulation and on menstruation, which I found really cool because yeah, there is a strong, uh, you know, there's a strong hypothesis that this inositol action is on like works to reduce the symptoms because of insulin, but it's not just that. So yeah, there's just incredible effects. There's just really, really incredible effects. And if you do have PCOS and you suffer with, um, you suffer with a lot of symptoms, then go ask your doctor about this. Go talk to your professional, whoever you work with, your, you know, your nutritionist or whatever else. Come online, shoot me a question. And just see if this supplement is for you in terms of what shows up in your diet and lifestyle and everything as well. And it's something that can really, really help, especially if you're looking at getting uh, your fertility up. Like if you're 
worried about your fertility in PCOS. And another myth, you know, in PCOS is that you will have troubles getting pregnant or you can't fall pregnant. And that's just not true. Some people can fall pregnant really easily with PCOS. Some people do have a lot of troubles and this is where, you know, these different uh, treatments can come in handy or these different, you know, lifestyle dietary supplemental factors can come in handy. So just think about your position. Like if you're listening to this for you or someone else, think about you or their position and talk to someone and see if inositol is something that you would like to get because, yeah, the research is just really, really beautiful. 72% of women getting their ovulatory cycles continually you know, coming through. It's, it's such a beautiful part of being a woman is having this ability to menstruate, having the ability to reproduce and just having the hormonal fluctuations that we do as much as they're like, you know, a pain and quite uh, frustrating throughout our months. But nonetheless, it is really beautiful in the way that we fluctuate and the way that we are in such a balance. So, to look at supporting that for the women that can't and having this beautiful supplement that has such great results. I think that there definitely needs to be more coverage on it in the mainstream kind of nutritional media for everyone out there. If you do have any questions, just shoot them through to me as always on Instagram uh, or on Facebook. You can email me as well at info at healmyhealth.com.au or go over to my website at www.healmyhealth.com.au. I'll always be there to answer questions. I'll always be there to do podcast topics. But for now, I just hope that, yeah, you have an interest in inositol or you just know that they have beautiful effects on PCOS and have a little bit more of an understanding into PCOS as well. It is a very, very common disorder and, yeah, it can be it can be managed through beautiful dietary and lifestyle habits. So please don't feel like you don't have any options. Hope you enjoyed today's episode, guys, and I will talk to you next time.